Well, good morning, everybody. And, and what a great morning to be in church with all which has happened so far. Amen? I don't really know what it's all about, by the way. And I don't really need to know. But what we all need to know is this. If we are to be all we can be for God in where he has placed us together and what he has trusted us with, putting into our hands to do together, then there's a verse in the Bible we would do well to remember. Intentionally relying on as we find ways to practically put it into, uh, to practically put it to work. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Just a few weeks ago, as Helen and I were arriving uh, for morning service, wherever we were, we were going to the Salvation Army, and the other side of the road was the Methodist Church. We'd pulled up in the car, and I noticed when we'd pulled up a, a taxi pulling up at the side of the road behind us uh, to drop somebody off going into the Methodist Church. And uh, we were just sat in the car. I couldn't take my eyes off what I was seeing in the mirror. This taxi driver coming round and, and helping this old man squeeze round and, and it was painful to watch just to, it took him five minutes to get this fellow out of the car and Helen and I witnessed this and, and Helen said to me what a shame and I said no that's not a shame I said that's an example let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds I, I do like the way the King James version uh, for me, it carries the sharpest translation. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. What an unusual way of putting things. So unexpected when suggested in regard to how we should be with each other and deal with each other. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good words. The Greek word that's been translated spur, outdo, provoke, it means to irritate, it means to exasperate, it means to incite, to, to stimulate, to arouse. It carries with it the idea of sharpening. And the context of that, the direction of that is already clearly stated. Let us consider one another to spur, to provoke to love and good works. Let us irritate and exasperate each other to do the right thing. Let's incite and stimulate and arouse one another to live the best we can. Let's sharpen each other's desire toward love and good works. And one Bible commentator says this, It's amazing the way some Christians inspire their fellows both to be better and do more. Amen? Quote's not finished. While others keep people around them in an almost constant state of irritation and obstinacy. Amen? There's a Peanuts cartoon in which Lucy says to Snoopy, there are times when you really bug me. But I must admit there are also times when I feel like giving you a big hug. And Snoopy replies, that's the way I am, huggable and buggable. 
let us provoke, let us incite, irritate, arouse. On its own, that's not so much as an instruction as it is an observation. We are all huggable and buggable. We all provoke, we, we all incite, we all irritate, we all arouse. The issue is, to what? To what? Hebrews 10.24 is a provocative verse and so I'd like in the moments that we have to consider and apply it under a, a provocative title, facing up to each other. Not in an argument, but an agreement. Even a holy confrontation. Facing up to each other. For me, this is excellently illustrated in one of the great figures of history, American President Thomas Jefferson, one day, Jefferson and a group of other men were crossing a, a swollen stream on horseback. And a man on the riverbank waited until several of the men had crossed. And then he waved to Jefferson and asked to be taken across. And the president gladly obliged. And when the traveler reached the other side, one of the men said, Tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of to take you across? And the man said, I didn't know he was the president. All I know is that on some faces is written the answer no, and on some the answer yes, and his face was one of the latter. Some Christians inspire their fellows both to be better and do more, while others keep people around them in an almost constant state of irritation and obstinacy. On some faces is written the answer yes, and on some the answer no. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. You may remember what the Bible says in another place, Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Again, the King James Version renders it, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. As iron sharpens, provokes, irritates iron, so a man sharpens, irritates, provokes the countenance, the face of his friend. And so we get yes faces or no faces, largely dependent on what our sharpening and provoking and irritating is geared to, coming from and going towards. Yes faces sharpen, provoke, irritate, arouse. Yes faces, no faces, sharpen, provoke, irritate, and arouse no faces. Facing up to each other, well, 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 what kind of face is yours? Maybe we should ask the person next to you. Maybe we'll not ask the person next to you. But what kind of face is yours? What's written on your character, your personality, your attitude? Is it not true that with some, and certainly with me, because I'm the worst at this, not only can I have a no face, but when you're from Glasgow, you can't, say, you can't speak in any gentle way. You can't say anything nice, nicely. No. So I know what I'm talking about. But it, could it be that along with me there are some people like that today and when people seek to approach us, often they're compelled to retreat in a double fast about turn because we've already said no even before they asked. God bless you. <laughs> they weren't even coming to ask for anything. They were just approaching to get close. But we've already warned them. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. 
I believe this is all about cultivating contagious yes faces that will not only be seen by others, but will also be caught by others. A holy confrontation. You know better than me here. How are you getting on with that? How are you facing up to each other? A little boy appeared at the door selling postcards for 5p. He was asked what he was going to do with the money he was earning, and he says, I'm raising £100,000 for our new church building. And the startled person at the door said, do you expect to raise it all by yourself? And the boy said, oh no, there's two of us. <laughs> Those little boys had yes faces. So in the time we have remaining, I want to direct you to a passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 5. If you want to turn to that, please. Luke 5. Couldn't believe it across the way when Anwin was talking about stretching tents and holding on to tents. Well, these guys were holding on to a mat to carry their friend. Luke 5 and verse 17. Have you got that in God's book? Let's stand together, please, in honor of the reading of God's word. Luke 5 verse 17. One day as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Amen. You may be seated. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, cultivating contagious yes faces that will not only be seen by others, but will be caught by others, facing up to each other. Would you notice firstly that these men looked at Jesus and said, yes. Look at verse 17. One day as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and not one yes face among them. All were saying no as they frowned and shook their heads in disapproval except that of Jesus. His yes face is seen in the last phrase of verse 17 and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Folks, when God sent his son Jesus, he was saying yes to the world. Do you think that if Jesus had not been in that group that day, these men would have brought their sick friend like they did? No. These men had seen this group gathered before. And for the same reasons as that traveler by the riverside let others pass him by until he saw Jefferson, so it was not until these men saw Jesus that they felt they could come and bring their needy friend. If asked, I believe these men would have said something like this, Look, all we know is that on some faces is written the answer no. And on some faces is written the answer yes. And Jesus is one of the latter he has yes written all over him. Yes is just bursting out from him. And folks, for those of us who are older, if you don't get this next line after the service, just ask somebody who's older. It's not just the man from Del Monte who says yes. <laughs> Jesus says yes. And he says yes about a great deal more. Jesus says in John 6, 37, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus says yes. And there was something about Jesus 
that caused these men to see it and to know it and trust it, and they brought their friend to Jesus past all those other no faces. Isn't that wonderful? In a world of discouragement, in a world of rejection, in a world of no faces, there's Jesus, and he says, trust, and he says, come, and he says, yes, and we can come to Jesus because his yes face allows and encourages us, even compels us to come. These men looked at Jesus and said, yes. Now, I've had the privilege of coming to Sunbridge Road for 23 years, but I don't know all your secrets yet. Do you have rotas in this church? Yeah, rotas. You know how most churches, you even have to have, to have a, you need to have a rota to blow your nose in church, some churches. You can't breathe, do anything on your own, except it has to be in a rota. I don't, that's my soapbox, by the way. I think, leaders mention this to the, you should do this as a gift to your pastor for when he comes back. You probably need to get in the healing line because he'd probably faint, but never mind. I think that everybody in the church should go on a rota just for one time. And they would have to sit here during one service and look at the congregation. The worship team know what I'm talking about, don't you? It will change your... You just need to do it once. It will change your perspective. After over 30 years of preaching, can I put it this way to you? On some faces, there's written the answer, No. And in some faces is written the answer, yes. We, the body of Christ, are the only Jesus some people are ever going to see, at least the first. And thus, because of what that first contact may be, perhaps also the last contact with Jesus they're open to. That's not a new concept to most of us. That, that phrase is not original to me. But have we really scratched the surface of its significance for others and its potential in us? A little street urchin used to travel right across the frozen streets of the great city of Chicago to attend D.L. Moody's Sunday School. And on his way, he passed many other churches. And somebody said to him, why do you go to Mr. Moody's Sunday school? Why don't you go to one closer to home? And this wee boy said, he said, I go to Mr. Moody's Sunday school because they love a fellow over there. When that little boy got to that Sunday school, he was met with warm and welcoming yes faces. I go there because they love a fellow there. I want to be less concerned with church growth in terms of numbers, you understand that two things will not, not be mentioned when we stand before heaven. The first one is the name of this church, and the second one is the amount of people you have in any membership role. I am less concerned about church growth in terms of numbers and more focused on people growth in terms of character and knowing God, because when you have that, the rest takes care of itself. Are we a church with a yes face? Do we love people? Do, do we try and make the stranger not a stranger? Are we warm? Are we welcoming? Are we inviting? You know, a lot of the things that disturb us and get us all bent out of shape, we're going to have a shock when we get to heaven because heaven doesn't even bother about them. Unless you think I'm getting carried away on the postmodern bandwagon of the emerging church, 
where there's no longer any absolute truth, including biblical truth. And so we just say yes to everybody and yes to everything, no matter their sinful lifestyle. I'm not saying that. Can I remind you? There are still Ten Commandments. But in the words of Alexander McLaren, every thou shalt not implies and leads to a greater and deeper and fuller thou shalt. Then these men looked at their friend and said, yes, verse 18, some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. These men looked at their friend and said, yes, on a cold rainy night, the telephone rang in the home of a doctor and the caller identified himself and said that his wife needed urgent medical attention. He was concerned for her. The doctor was understanding. He said that he was willing to come and attend to her needs, but he explained that his own car was being repaired. And so if the husband could come and pick him up and the husband said, what in this weather? You know, that's not a million miles away from how we often can be with the needs of others. We look at our families and our friends and their needs, especially their greatest need of all, the need for them to find God through knowing Jesus Christ in their lives. And we can look at our family and friends and the needs they have. And we can often expect others to say yes while we do nothing or very little saying no. As a pastor, I have met more than one Christ one in my charge who've expected the pastor and the church to pray more and do more for their unsaved loved ones than they will. That is not on. I'm so glad that these men looked at their friend and said, yes, question, if these men did not bring their paralyzed friend, who would have? How would he ever have got to Jesus? This man got to Jesus because his friends looked at him, saw his need, and said yes. Have you ever stopped to give thanks for those whom God placed in your life who when they looked at you, they said yes? Think of how many people down the years this church has said yes to. Take a moment to think about that personally. Thank God for the ones he's placed in your life who, when they looked at you, said yes. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. For so long and in so much, we've benefited from that through being on the receiving end of it, through those who look at us and say yes. Isn't it about time we did some looking and considering of our own at others and say yes for them? Is there somebody who you will consider and say yes for and help bring them to Jesus? In the summer of 1989, Mark Wellman, a paraplegic, gained international recognition by climbing the sheer granite face of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park in the United States. That's 3,000 feet, 900 meters, like that. On the seventh and final day, seven days of his climb, a newspaper headline read, Showing a Will of Granite. Accompanying the headline was a photograph of Wellman being carried on the shoulders of his climbing companion, Mike Corbett. A subtitle read, Paraplegic and partner prove no wall is too high to scale. What many people don't know is that Mike Corbett scaled the face of El Capitan 
three times in order to help Mark Wellman pull himself up one time. 3,000 feet, 900 meters every time. He did it three times so his friend could make it one time. Mike Corbett looked at his friend, Mark Wellman, and he said, yes. Just like these men looked at their friend and said, yes. Just like you are looking and at least thinking about your friend and saying, yes. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. A young dying soldier looked up in the face of Florence Nightingale and whispered, you are Christ to me. God help us to be Christ to somebody. These men looked at their friend and said yes. And then these men looked at each other and said yes. And this is coming on to what... Anon was saying really about the tent and, and the mat. It's the same really. Verse 18 again. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. They looked at each other and said, yes, you see, I, I imagine this and I get the impression that this paralytic would not have been light to carry. And I can imagine these men getting hold of the corners of the carrying mat and heaving and puffing and panting Nearly there. <laughs> Nearly there. Or if they came from our part of the world, to me, to you, to me, to you, you. Picture it now. Holding each corner of the mat made it easy for them to see each other, just like the tent. Can you imagine how discouraging and wearying it would be to be helping carrying that man, but to have to stare into a no-face while doing it. That would drive me bananas. I'd want to bless him. And that would make me a no-face, because that's what happens. I believe their yes faces kept each other going, don't you think? They looked at each other and said, yes, their yes faces kept each other going. A little boy said to his father, he said, Dad, let's play darts. I'll throw and you say wonderful. <laughs> Don't matter what age we are, we all need that. We all need the encouragement of yes faces. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. During the Boer War, and that is not this morning in church listening to this sermon, during the Boer War, it took place from 1899 to 1902, a man was convicted of a very unusual crime, being a discourager. The South African town of Ladysmith had been under attack, and this traitor had moved up and down the lines of soldiers who were defending the city, and he did everything he could to discourage them. He pointed out the enemy's strength, the difficulty of defending against them and the inevitable capture of their city. He had not used a gun in his attack. It hadn't been necessary. His weapon had been the power of discouragement. And some church folk are like that. See, before we earn the right to say something negative to somebody, we should have previously been saying nine positive things to them. Do we have any idea 
that more people fail for lack of encouragement than for any other reason. How many people let go of the corner of their mat because they can no, they can no longer stand it looking into a no face? Too many stop because they hear so few say, go for it. More people fail because of discouragement than for any other reason. Have you ever thought what would have happened if one of these fellas bailed out and let go of the corner? You've already entered that covenant today with your tent. It's the same, really. You see, there's, there's a place. There's a place, there's a corner of the mat or the tent for every single one of you. If I can personalize it and make it big, bigger than the church here, the kingdom of God, I need you to hold on to your corner of the mat. And you need me to hold on to mine. If we let go of our corner of the mat, what's going to happen? He didn't know. All our God-given dreams of what the gospel can do and what church can be, they only ever remain dreams, never becoming reality when we start either trying to carry the mat ourselves or when we let go of the corner, leaving others to carry the mat themselves. I promise to keep hold of my mat, my corner of the mat. I, Helen and I, we promise we will pray for you at what you're getting into. Will you hold on to your corner? Will you take and keep a hold of your corner and will you do it with a yes face? Face up to your brother and sister in the Lord and say yes. These men looked at each other and said yes. A faithful commitment, a holy confrontation. I am going to go through with you no matter what. We're in this together. And then would you notice these men looked at the obstacles and said yes. Verse 19, when they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd. They went up on the roof and lowered them on the mat right through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And I think that they were more satisfied because of the obstacles than without them. J.C. Ryle writing in these verses, he talks of the excuse-making spirit. You see, the truth is, great souls have wills. Feeble ones only have wishes. D.H. Lawrence, in his great poem, he talked about those dreamers. The dreamers of the night who dream with their eyes closed, but the dreamers of the day dream with their eyes open to make sure that what they dream happens. No excuse-making spirit among these yes-faced men how often when we meet an obstacle, when we, we face a disappointment, when we encounter a setback, do we, this, do we then say, oh, that's it, it mustn't be God's will? Do you think because you've taken a stand for God today over there that Satan's not going to do his utmost to frustrate it? Is he just going to lie down and roll over? He's so miserable because he knows what the end's going to be. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, verse 10, if you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? No excuse-making spirit. You see, here's the point. 
there was a sick man here who needed to get to his healer, and it was their business to bring the two together. That's our business, is it not? There's sinners, unsaved people we know, and there's a savior, the only one who can save them. It is our business to get the two together. Are we going to give up and walk away? I mean, what are we saying? I, we cannot, or I, we must. These men looked at the obstacles and said yes. And then one more thing. These, Jesus looked at these men and he said yes. Can you picture it? I mean, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, these religious ones, you know, the church folk, the, the notabilities as Alexander McLaren called them, they all had no faces to begin with, but maybe it's just me, but can you imagine their frowning, disgruntled faces as part of the roof began to hit them? No, 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 no. I'm not sure. But I kind of think God might have planned it that way. Do you think he kind of organized who sat where that day? <laughs> because he knew what was going to happen with the roof. Just a thought. Jesus looked at these yes faces looking down at him through the roof and he said yes. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looked at these men and said yes. Now he would say, sometimes the sick do get healed. Sometimes we do get delivered from our crosses and losses. Sometimes situations are transformed, but the greatest need is not the healing of the body or the easing of a temporary burden, or the changing of a situation. Our greatest need is the saving of our souls. Jesus never came to be a problem solver. He came to be a soul saver. He always seeks and wills and is able to do that. He looked at these men and said, yes, and how many have come to Christ with one need, only to discover that he meets them at the point of a deeper and greater need, as he says, yes. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good deeds, facing up to each other, cultivating contagious yes faces that will not only be seen by others, but will also be caught by them. Just as we come to prayer, go back to Hebrews 10, 24, will you please? And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good deeds. Have you noticed that the Bible doesn't get specific here about the form of our provocation, our stimulating of each other. Let us consider one another how to provoke unto love and to good deeds. The Bible doesn't get specific. It leaves us to discover. You see, God wants you to be creative. There's only one yes face like yours. Show it. Let others benefit from it. You know, when I go into the schools and, and talk to the, the children and the young people, I always get them to look at, the th look, at the, look at your thumb. Look at your thumb. Just let me know you're still breathing. Look at your thumb. Look at your thumb. Do you know there's not another thumb like yours in the whole world, not just today, but in any day gone by, this day and any day to come? There'll never be another thumb like yours. And I say to the children and young people, and I'll say, put your thumb up in the air. 
Thank you. And say after me, I am somebody. <laughs> but you are. There's nobody who can do it like you can. There's no wage restrictions. A little boy called Mar Morris, he bragged, he says, I'm not afraid of anything. He said, once I even cut off a lion's tail with my penknife. Somebody said, why didn't you cut off its head? And Morris said, well, to tell you the truth, somebody had already cut that off. <laughs> and many of us only get involved and give when it no longer matters. How often are we like that, riding on the fumes of what God accomplishes through others, letting them do the work and take the strain, but some of us never working and accomplishing for ourselves, for God and for others, always being carried but never carrying, always being considered without ever considering, saying, no, I cannot, instead of yes, I will try my very best. No excuses. Folks, isn't it time? that we started breaking through some roofs of our own. Instead of merely following and imitating, merely creeping through the holes others have made, holes that perhaps have become outdated and even covered over because they no longer lead to Jesus. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Dr. Graham Scroggie said this, before many churches see revival, their roofs and walls of sameness and predictability will have to be broken up and broken down. With this I do finish, and we will pray. Some people ask, why should the devil have all the good music? He doesn't. Nor does he have the best ideas. I've been privileged to preach in the States and, and all around the United Kingdom and see many churches. I'm grateful to God. But I have to tell you, what's the one church that always stands out for us, Helen? This church. In the last 23 years, this is one of the most creative churches I have had the privilege of knowing. The most creative, committed, articulate and hope-filled people should be God's people because they've got every reason to and who will just keep going for God in what is right. You know, it's time for some of us to stop shaking our no downcast faces in gloom over what the world has come to and start looking up again as we declare with yes faces, look at who has come to the world. Let's pray together. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God. Can I ask you just in these moments of prayer, As your brother and sister in the fellowship look at you over the mat or the tent called church, 
What are they seeing? Are you an encouragement, an inspiration, or are you a discouragement or a deflation? Perhaps you're a mystery because you never nail your colors to the mast. What a day to do that today. Perhaps you've never really stepped up to your place. Perhaps there was a time that you were in your place, but for whatever reason, you're no longer in that place. Folks, it's time for us to grow up and to stand up to our full height, to our full height in Christ <coughs> and to show up in our service place. And to say to each other under God, by God's grace, I'm going to take my corner of the mat. I'm going to take my place at the corner of the tent. And no matter what, I'm going to look at you with a yes face. And we're going to stand and we're going to see this through together. And we're going to do it in an excellent way because God is worthy of that. Just in these last moments as I've been running through my mind what we shared in across the way and what the people who remained in the sanctuary shared in. These verses from Malachi came to my mind. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. God's been listening today. And God's been watching and he's written it in heaven. And he's looking to honor it. My God, I do pray your best for this people. I pray, God, that their finest hour will be yet to come. And that you will glorify your name. And that the testimony in the days to come will be only God can do this. Grant it, we pray, and everybody said, Amen. We will finish there. If anybody would like to come for prayer, the prayer team will be at the front of the church. It's lunch. If you would like to stay for lunch, that would be lovely for Kathy and Mark.